The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. This is Wanda Wallace, and welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. With me today is Jim Kinsella. Now, Jim has had an incredible track record in both leading and starting high-tech companies, and most recently has just launched Zetabox, which is Europe's solution to cloud sourcing. Now, not only Jim has worked in startup companies, but he's also worked in traditional technology companies, such as Microsoft. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So, you've just launched Zetabox today. Um, How's that going? Or yesterday, excuse me. Right. Um, well, I think we're we're um, we've got some very good uh, visibility into the market at the moment, and um, I think we're getting some good traction. We, I think, as uh, you mentioned, we had um, long been working on a product that uh, was European based to deliver a cloud storage and team sharing tool. Um, the uh, majority of these are in the U.S., and um, because of the impending EU data regulation that's going to require people to keep data in Europe, we um, are very excited to be launching the first pan-European solution. Fabulous. All right, so, Jim, I want to talk with you today about tech people, technology-oriented specialist experts, and their transition into leadership what works and what doesn't work. But let me first start with your story. You have a fascinating background. You started your career as a journalist, a quite successful journalist, and you weren't even in technology for that matter. So what convinced you that you wanted to start running companies? Right. So exactly my experience is the reverse of the um, the one in which uh, someone is a specialist in an area really driving down and need to be able to make the leap to management. I was covering the gamut of things and um, and eventually managing journalists. It was clear to me, though, when I paused and to write a book on uh, media and media coverage that the industry was changing so dramatically. And part of the reason, the biggest reason the industry was changing so dramatically was technology. And because of those changes and because technology was driving those changes, I really wanted to be in that mix, helping to bring those changes about rather than simply experiencing or, or being the victim of those changes, which is why I started my first tech company. All right. So you have the experience of being a journalist. You're excited about what the industry is doing. You want to participate in it. But what gives you the confidence coming from a journalism background that you could actually lead a company? 
I think the, the ability to think about a problem and educate yourself about it very quickly and then try to explain it to somebody else made me think that I can actually think about these problems that almost no one really has a lot of experience dealing with, that is the rise of networked communication and the movement of so much of, um, of media to the Internet, which was all anticipated but not a reality when we, fir- we launched our first company in 1990, um, that I thought, well, I'm in as good a place as anybody else to be able to understand what these changes are and how it's going to affect how people actually work and and do work, that as long as I can bring my skills as a journalist to understanding the changes, um, I'm in a pretty good place to help bring about those changes. So that was the thing that gave me confidence. One, it was a very new industry. Um, and I thought that I was a pretty quick study at things, and so I was likely to be able to figure this out as well as anybody. Jim, that's fascinating. One of my favorite leaders um, in financial services, in fact, I ask him how he gets confidence to do any number of things, and he's had an incredibly brilliant career. And he says that he always looks around the room to see if there's anybody who can do it better than he can do it. And if so, he's going to get that person involved. And if not, then he's going to go ahead. So you're saying the same thing about confidence. You look around and you say, is there anyone here who's really got a handle on this story better than I? No. Okay, I can do it as well. And I also love this notion that you bring your journalism skills, the ability to look at lots of information, absorb it really quickly, and explain it to people as kind of the catalyst for launching a company, getting people excited. So lots of people have talked about that bit of it, which is the, the second part that you described, communication. And then, at least in my experience, being able to communicate to a very broad mix of people has been the most important thing that I think I bring to my career as a manager, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, as somebody who starts things and leads teams no matter what size from from a couple of people to in a startup to thousands of people, as I have done in my career. The ability to communicate, and communication isn't simply about talking, it's also about listening and hearing and then talking. And I think it's a, it's a powerful thing that I learned as a, as a young professional, as a journalist, that has helped me enormously in my career as a manager, CEO, entrepreneur. So any advice for people who want to be better at listening and hearing? I think you're, you had mentioned someone else you had interviewed from the financial services industry, and this person said, if I'm in a room, I look around, and I think actually someone knows more than I, then I need to get that person involved. One of the things that I convinced myself of very quickly is, yes, I'm, I'm smart enough, but if I'm the smartest person in the room in a company that I'm managing, we're in trouble. That is, we've got to have lots of smart people and some people who are much smarter than I and many people who are far, far better informed about the specific area in which they are working. So, Number one, listening, 
and engaging those individuals in a process of management is fundamental. I think that you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, if you are the smartest person in the room and you make it known that you're the smartest person in the room, you destroy any kind of sense of teamwork. Taking so many people in, smart people, particularly smart young people, and quite frankly, particularly lots of smart young women, are very demoralized when they'll sit in a room and they'll have a, a group meeting, and the person leading that meeting will take an idea that they've actually spoken about, said and introduced, and make it their own without giving any kind of credit to the person who actually offered that idea. So one strong piece of advice I give to young managers is give credit. In fact, the best thing a manager can do is take no credit but articulate that people that work with them, for them, have great ideas. And your job is to articulate those great ideas as best as possible because that builds great team morale. And without that, people don't act like teams and you can't get great things done. Right. Fascinating. Okay. So in many ways, Jim, what you're saying is some of the stuff that we have been talking about all along and out of the comfort zone, this notion that you don't have to be the technical expert to lead a group, to inspire a group, to get a group engaged, to do phenomenal things, but that there are some particular skills you have to bring to the party. And those have to do so far, you've said, with this ability to listen and hear, articulate the smart ideas of other people, and give them credit as a way of engaging and building the morale. Apart from that, you must have seen hundreds of thousands of technical experts over the course of your career. Um, Do most of them make good leaders? And if not, why? What's missing? They can if they badly want to do it. That is, you've got to, in order to become a manager, you've got to have the intention of wanting to be a good manager and leading people. I don't believe leaders are born. I certainly think people can be born with more charisma than others, but charisma does not a leader make. And I think that people with the intention of wanting to lead groups, they have to actually, first and foremost, have that intention. Often engineers or technical people are promoted because they've done a very good job on a specific technical piece, or they have been excellent engineers, and in order to get them to the next pay grade or to make them feel like they're advancing in a company, they've got to become a manager. But if they don't have the strong intention and desire to be a manager, they often fail at that because it's not natural at all for them. Anybody can become a manager, and some people can become great managers if they have the deep intention to do so and if they actually want to really lead, particularly lead teams in a tech environment, which requires lots of different skills than being extremely good at coding or very good at thinking about a technical problem. It has much more to do with being able to listen and communicate and to actually engage. And I think if a technical person or anybody with a 
deep understanding of a particular area, has the intention and deep desire to actually lead teams or, in fact, eventually lead companies or launch something, they've got to begin with intention of understanding what that role is. That role doesn't mean that they sit at their desk and really think big ideas, particularly in a closed office. It means they talk, they listen, and they communicate and integrate what they've heard. That's fundamentally the most important thing, I think, that technical people need to understand in order to lead. Great. Fabulous. All right. Now, Jim, I know that you have three points that you think it takes to make a really great leader, apart from what you said so far about communicating, about articulating good ideas, about listening and hearing. And one of them has to do with measurement. Tell us your point of view about measurement. This is something I learned very early on in my career in the first company that I launched. If you can't measure it, it's not really worth doing. It only exists if it can be measured. It is only observable that it can be measured. And if it's not important enough to be measured, then it's not important to, to do. Conversely, if you identify those things that are fundamentally the most important things that you think have got to be done in order for your company or your team to be successful, measure them. The first thing you do is think about what are those things that we have got to accomplish to be successful, and then how do we measure that we've actually accomplished them? I think that those two aspects are equally important. Identify what are the most important criteria for success, and secondly, understand how to measure them. Both are very sometimes very difficult to do, but equally important to make happen if you're really going to drive a company forward or a team for that matter. So measurement is fundamental. Skip the vision. I don't really believe in big vision statements, and lots of companies and people waste enormous amounts of time on that. Instead, think about what it is you're trying to accomplish and how you will measure that you have done it. And that is really the start to success, I think. Fabulous, Jim. So interesting, last week we were talking with Bruce Regal, who has the similar point of view about the notion of measurement and has some very interesting examples of ways in which you identify the most important criteria for success and then put a collection of measures, all of which are imperfect, around that so that you begin to drive performance around the things that genuinely matter, or at least know where you are on those. And I love your notion that you skip the vision. Um, pay attention instead to what's critical. Now, I know you have two more points, but we're going to take a break at this moment. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about the other two things that you think leaders need to do. So we've got already this notion of the communication, the articulation, the listening. And here, as well as the second, is the measurement. And we'll be right back. Thanks, Jim. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Jim Kinsella from ZetaBox. Jim has a long history of leading tech companies, startup companies, um, as well as traditional tech companies. And we have been talking about engineers, technology specialists who get promoted because that's the next obvious place to go. And then what it takes to transform yourself into a manager. And Jim, just before the break, you made the comment that there are really two things that ma- that people need to do when they have the intention to manage. And one of those is they need to be better at articulating the good ideas of the team and using that as a way of drawing the team together, creating team engagement, team morale. Then your second point was that you have to be very clear about what criteria are critical for success and then measure those. Now, I know you have two more. So what are your second two points that people need to do to lead? So I think that the, fundamentally the second thing is really lead by doing. And what I mean by that is be engaged in the processes that are making are driving the company toward the goals that you are 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 measuring. So you can let's say a company has typically three to five goals or three to five key things that have got to get done at any given point of time, and these naturally change. You're measuring those in any number of ways and with any number of metrics. There are processes that that have to be put in place in order to make those measurable things happen, get engaged in what those are. 
That is, it doesn't mean that you do them all or that you be an expert in them all, but you understand the process that people are going through to make those things happen. Let me give an example. So it's a, a, and first and foremost, this is an inspiration from Steve Ballmer at uh, at Microsoft, where I uh, worked uh, a number of years ago. Ballmer deeply got engaged in selling and understanding what the customer needs. And that was inspirational for me because even in my small startup that I launched, two startups before I went to Microsoft, it seemed so obvious to me that we had to understand what customers wanted and how they were reacting to what we were doing. And that means that I had to be engaged in the sales process, but I also needed to be engaged in the engineering process and, of course, the marketing process and customer service process. So when I say lead by doing, it means sometimes the CEO going to the customer service department and getting on the phone with customers to hear what the customers have to say about the product. I've done this in every company I have worked at, and it fund and I've insisted that all senior managers do the same. Spend time on the phone in the customer service department or on live chat in the customer service department. It will be the most eye-opening two or three hours you will spend that quarter, I guarantee anybody who does it. You will learn more about what your customers really think than any number of surveys done or any number of, of qualitative or quantitative measurement that you simply sit and read in a report. So that's the ultimate in lead by doing. Sit down and do live chat with customers or try to figure out what is the hardest thing that the engineering group is trying to do and sit next to an engineer who's trying to figure that out, get a better idea for 15 minutes at least, what really is the problem that they're trying to solve and how difficult is that problem in the code they're working on that in that moment in time. And, of course, I mentioned sales. Steve Ballmer was one of the, one of the world's best salespeople go on the road, talk to customers, pitch customers. It doesn't matter if you're the chairman emeritus, which I've been at companies, or whether you're actually the CEO or whether you're a rising manager in a company. Ask to visit customers because at the end of the day, your product and your company is only as good as it is successful in selling. So the broad category I put on that is lead by doing. Doesn't mean be an expert in any of those areas, but get engaged. So I just want to make sure we're clear about this, because the temptation for somebody who's an expert, and you say lead by doing, go sit with the engineers and understand their most difficult problem. The temptation is to try to go in and know it as well as the engineers. And you're not saying that. You're saying Go in and understand what people are dealing with, how complicated it is, what's frustrating for them, what it takes to get it done. Is that correct? Exactly. And you failed, actually, if you go and into, let's say you're an engineer who's been promoted. You've failed at this task if when you sit down with them, you
you actually want to take over the keyboard and start coding. You shouldn't, you shouldn't take over control of their job. You should be engaged enough in the process to understand the challenges they're having. There's a kind of programming that, of course, has, has swept uh, across the, the world um, called Agile Development. Agile Development is exactly about this. It is that code is developed in two- to three-week segments so that everyone engaged in building a company can understand where the code is going and how to influence the direction of that code and the direction of that technical product. It doesn't mean that somebody who was an engineer and who is now running the company should say, ah, no, 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 wait a second. Let me go and show you how to code it. But it does mean that they should understand what are the clear obstacles this person might have, and is there anyone else on the team or anyone else that they may know who can just have a conversation with this person and maybe bump them over that obstacle into solution? goes back to, to the point of communication because a manager and a good manager's job isn't taking over the, the keyboard and, and inputting code or taking over the, the sales process and being the, the core salesperson or even taking over the customer service department and being the key customer service person. But it does mean being engaged in the doing of all of those tasks so you know enough that you can actually understand the problems and obstacles and you can help to come up with solutions, either suggesting they speak to somebody or suggesting a thought are suggesting that a group of people get together to really knock down the barrier to success. Okay, so this is not about doing it yourself, but it's about caring what it takes, what's involved, integrating other people into the package, um, finding resources to bring to bear on it. And presumably some of this is just the fact that you care enough about that particular process to spend some time on it. All right, so let's move to your third one. So the second one is this whole notion about lead by doing. What's your final fourth big point about what it takes to lead? It's simple, and and I think if you don't have this in your gut, then you really need to question why you want to lead. And it's to like people, to actually have some sense of empathy for people. Because if you don't like people, you can't lead people very effectively, at least not today in technology, and certainly not millennials, because millennials can sense that you really don't care very quickly. And that is nothing worse for a talented millennial to feel than that they don't have value in your eyes. So, Liking people is so fundamental to the management process and making it clear that people know that you like people. Not that you like everything that everyone does in your company. Not that you can't be loudly critical because sometimes you've got to be loudly critical. Or not that you don't judge what, in fact, they do because that's what management is largely about. However, You've got to be able to show some kind of empathy to people and that you actually like them. 
And this is so fundamental because I think some people wind up in management and they fundamentally don't really care about people. They don't really like people very much. That's disastrous if you're trying to lead people, particularly if you're trying to lead millennials. Okay, and do you have any tricks that you use to kind of show people that you care about them? I mean, some people are harder to show than others. Let's be fair about that. So everybody thinks they are, or most people think they are, the most important person in the world. This is particularly true of people who are younger people generally because they are just coming into the workforce or have been in the workforce for a while. And particularly if they're talented, they are special, and they're used to thinking that they are special. Pick a fact about them. Pick a fact about their lives and ask them about it. It doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation, but how's your partner? How's your child? Did they get into university? Did they get into the, the school you're trying to get into? Um, is your partner healthy? You know, I, I know that he went into the hospital. Has he, has he come out? Is he okay? Those little details about people. I have run, as I said, companies from two people to thousands of people. It doesn't mean that you memorize every detail of every person, but as you go around doing this lead-by-doing effort, you need to do it in a relatively... Um, structured way so that you know the people that you're going to run into. So one thing I have done found very, very useful, for example, the last company I I ran before Zetabox was a pan-European communications company with about 1,500 employees. It had 30 offices around Europe. And as I would visit the offices, which I would repeatedly do on a cycle, I would come armed by my assistant with names of everybody in that company and details about them so that when I would meet somebody, I would often be triggered by the, the, the cheat sheet I had or the quick study that I had done on the airplane to remember a detail or a fact. So that is one thing. A second is care about their work and let them know that you think that they're doing important work. Not only are are they doing important work, but they're doing something fundamental for the success of the company. And that's another very important, understand what they're doing well enough to ask an intelligent question about it. I think also just a straightforward smile and a direct look in someone's eyes to let them know that you were there for that moment is far more important than standing up in front of a room and making pronouncements. A 60-second one-on-one interaction in which you look somebody in the eye, they have the ability to look you in the eye, and you exchange something personal about their work or about their life, and you move on, can matter hugely more importantly than standing up in front of the entire company and speaking boldly about where the company is going. Both are useful, but often, and I think, again, particularly for millennials, it's often that direct conversation is, uh, can be much more important for motivation. 
I can't tell you how many times I hear from employees the sense that my manager cares is such a huge motivator. And I love your notion. It's just really three steps about caring about people. One is know a detail about every single person. Number two is ask an intelligent question about something somebody's doing so you show that you actually value the work that they're doing. And three is this smile and look them directly in the eyes. Okay, so Jim, so if I summarize this, there are really four things that in your view a specialist needs to do to become a manager when they have the intention of becoming the manager. One has to do with communication, articulating the really good ideas so that other people can be bought into it, giving credit, using that as a way of engaging and creating morale. Number two um, is measuring, identifying what really, really matters for success and measuring it. Number three is this lead by doing, not that you get into the details, but that you understand what is going on behind the scenes, what the complexities are, what the problems are, what the obstacles are, and offer the help that you can. And that includes knowing what customers are thinking about and knowing where the problems with the engineers and the coding are. And then this last thing is this notion about caring and showing to people that you genuinely care about people. Four fairly straightforward things would make a huge difference if every manager did it. We're going to take a break. I'm talking with Jim Kinsella from Zetabox. When we return, I want to talk to Jim about the mistakes that he's had along his career and the lessons learned, and particularly this issue of dealing with people who are fairly assertive. We'll be right back. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen for new episodes every month on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace, and with me today is Jim Kinsella. Jim is currently um, co-founder of Zetabox, but has a long history in the technology industry in doing startups and more traditional companies. And we have been talking about the what it takes for technical specialists to transition into managerial roles. 
Um, we've been talking about the four kind of critical things that a manager needs to do involving communication, measurement, lead by doing, and really caring about people. Now, Jim, you've done a number of companies along the way, and I'm, you've had some great successes. You've had to take a lot of risks, particularly the first one, leaving journalism and going into starting a company. Um, but along the way, there must have been some mistakes. So what have been your biggest mistakes and what did you learn from them? So I, I think my biggest mistake is a character flaw, to be honest, and that is failure to listen in the beginning of my career. Even though that was fundamental to my career as a journalist, my career as a manager and entrepreneur, I think, was really hindered from my thinking that I was the most important person in any room at any given time when I was launching a new company. And fundamentally, I think I I learned how wrong that concept is um, and um, changed behavior quite early on to realize that actually, no, the more I can listen and the more I can learn in a given meeting, even a meeting that I'm running, and in particular a meeting I'm running, that's going to be far more productive for what we are all trying to accomplish than my thinking that I need to hold forth and have everybody understand what I'm thinking. Um, so the, the biggest mistakes I had, particularly in my career as a manager early on, was failure to listen. And it's a process of, 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 of coming to grips with being able to listen. I think for most of us, it is not natural, particularly most of us who are particularly assertive and think that we need to drive the, the, the whole company forward, which I certainly feel deep in my, deep in my gut as a manager, Training yourself to stop, listen, respond only when it makes sense to respond, and do much more of integrative communication rather than directive communication. Integrate what's just been said rather than say, this is where this conversation's got to go. I talk to so many people, though, who are leading who feel like the team that's following them doesn't have a strong enough sense of urgency. They're not enough into the details. They're not um, moving fast enough with enough passion. And in that moment, what their instinct is, is to just be quite assertive and drive it forward. And you're saying, no, not necessarily. Right. I think what you've got to do, particularly if you think you're dealing with intelligent people, is communicate to them what's at risk. Um, I'm a firm believer in treating adults like adults. And that means that if, in fact, they, you are working in a company together, they need to understand they're under the same pressure you're under. That is, if this company isn't successful, then we close down the company. If we actually aren't driving this product in in a productive fashion, then we're not going to have a company. And I know that lots of people say, oh, you can't can't, uh, be as direct with a team as that. But I think it's the only way, particularly with startups, it's the only way to be. Because the world of the taxpayer paying for companies essentially to make mistake after mistake after mistake is gone largely in the Western world. That exists in very, very few places. 
the future is companies that actually stand on their own and have to survive or die, and it happens every day. Companies, even with great ideas and some decent talent, die because not everybody in the company is focused with the same kind of urgency on accomplishing things. And I think first it's got to start with everybody being treated as an adult so that it's clear that, guys, this is what we're trying to measure. If we're not actually hitting our goals, there's no good reason to believe that our product is going to actually be meeting the kinds of standards that we've established for it. And if that's the case, there's no good reason to believe that customers are going to buy our product or that we're going to survive against the competition. So let's be adults about this first and foremost. And this company is also your company. You've got to help move this forward or everything is in jeopardy. Okay. So it's always a lot. You said the magic word direct in there. There's a lot of debate among the people that I talk with about how direct you can be. And I hear this on both sides of the equation. I hear people who say, I prefer to work with people who are very direct and candid with me, and I'm going to be direct and candid back with them. And I hear others who say, no, you got to be much more diplomatic and cautious. And maybe we'd say the word political. I gather that you favor the direct side. Is that fair? Yes, but I also think that the that has to be leavened with also the the fourth point I made in the in how I think one should think about management and making the transition to management. You've got to show not that you just care about this company, but you actually care about the individual. So diplomatic and diplomacy within a company, I think there's very little room for that. Not in not in the second decade of the 21st century, where competition is fierce and companies have got to move fast. What I think is you've got to be clear, very clear, very direct, but you've got to show you care, not just about getting the work done, but also about that individual. And I think those two elements are almost equally important. You care about making the company a success, but you also care about that individual being a success within the company. And you can okay. help, particularly as a manager, particularly as a CEO. You can, you can help them. You can help them be successful in this company, and you can help them understand how to be successful in this company. So I think diplomacy suggests to me, quite frankly, duplicity a bit. I'm trying to sugarcoat things and hide things because these people aren't really intelligent enough or mature enough to deal with the facts. If that's your team, change your team because companies don't have time to play a diplomatic or political game today. They, there's just too much competition and things need to change too quickly. If you can't trust people you work with, to understand those premises, get new colleagues. Great. I like that notion of you can be direct so long as you show that you're passionate and care about the work and that the individuals believe that you care about them. 
And then the directness is appreciated, tolerated. But when we take the two conditions out of it, directness can be a problem. Now, Jim, I would presume that in the course of your career, you're a fairly assertive person, that you're pretty clear about what you want and how you want it, and you don't back down. So is that fair statement about you? So the first part of the statement, I think, is absolutely fair about me, that I'm, I, people will say that I'm a very assertive manager. But backing down, I think, is an interesting concept. One of the things I think I do well and I've been told I do well, is I admit when I'm wrong. And that is another, I think, thing that motivates people in groups, that if somebody says, no, you're not right, and they're right, and they've done it respectfully just as you treated them respectfully, then backing down can be the most powerful thing a manager can do. Because it says, yes, you know what, we're actually data-driven. We measure things. This is really important. And because I'm actually leading by doing, I respect this person who's telling me this because I know they have a particular expertise that I've engaged enough to understand that they're expert in it. And finally, because I generally like people, if someone with passion and who's caring about the company tells me they think I'm wrong and they treat me with respect in doing so, that just builds teams better than almost anything else you can do. So the idea of never backing down, hold your ground, is a, is a, is a, is a, it's just false. It's, a, it's the wrong way that a, that a manager should be. Understanding, admitting mistakes, or admitting that actually, wow, I was confused about that. Being able to laugh at yourself, being able to have people actually make jokes about you. <laughs> All of that is fundamentally important to good management, I think, particularly in technology companies where you're dealing with a lot of people, many of them young, many of them very, very smart, who have got to feel as though they can tell the boss he or she is wrong and have got to be able to have some fun. So the idea of, you know, I've spent, I spent the last 15 years in Europe, I've got a heavy American accent, making fun of my accent in the three languages that I speak is par for the course and I find amusing. Um, so being able to laugh and roll with it, but also being able to say, I was wrong. The idea of standing your ground is important when you're being, uh, when you're being attacked by competitors. Standing your ground when a colleague whom you respect and have shown that you, you are, are, they are doing generally the right thing, standing your ground in the face of the evidence is the worst thing you can do. All right, so Jim, that would imply then that if I wanted to deal with you as a fairly assertive manager, a caring and assertive manager, that I need to have done my homework, that I need to be sure that I know my facts and my data and that I'm, you know, know that deeply so I'm showing my expertise, and I need to be willing to challenge you um, in a very direct, confronting way in a very clear way, and then just to defend my argument with respect. 
Okay, we're going to take a break at this moment. So I'm talking with Jim Kinsella uh, from ZetaBox. When we return, I want to talk about Jim's view of what distinguishes the best talent in the marketplace. And no surprise, that's going to have to do with some qualities about leadership. We'll be right back. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. And with me today is Jim Kinsella from ZetaBox. Jim has had a long history in starting tech companies as well as in working in traditional companies like Microsoft. We have been talking about technical experts and the transition to great managers and leaders. And we've talked about a lot of different issues that make a difference in terms of communication, in terms of caring about people. Um, And in this last segment, we were talking about two really, really important things, and that is that companies don't have the time to be diplomatic in their communication, that as an individual and as a manager, you need to be direct with people, but you also need to show that you care about the person and that you care about the work that's being done. We were talking also about that, yes, you do need to be assertive on occasion, but you assert with facts and with your knowledge and that the most important thing sometimes a manager can do for building the team is backing down, particularly when somebody has shown that they have their homework and they understand something very well. All right. So now, Jim, at this point, um, I want to talk a little bit about distinguishing features. And you've told me in the past that uh, building a career is not about building your technical expertise like programming, that that's not what's most important, but that's the ability to lead. Why do you say that that's the most important distinguishing skill? I think technology is changing so quickly that if you become an expert in a particular bit of technology, you can pretty much be guaranteed that's going to change and it will be outdated quickly. But if you're a manager and you know how to deal with people and how to lead teams, those skills will perjure. They'll last far beyond any change in technology. So I think that if you're particularly making a transition from being a technologist to being a manager, it can open up an entire different and broader world. But the qualities that you learn and need to craft, the skills that you need to develop as a manager, are going to last your entire life, whereas specific programming skills or skills in a particular technology 
really change and and disappear pretty quickly, particularly in in the twenty first century. So you do then would argue that spending time developing your managerial skills is a really good strategy for building a career. I do, but I also think that you need to do it at the right period of time. And you can prepare for it even if you're a, a young programmer or a young salesperson or you have another role in that company. You can do it by essentially just observing. And I think you can learn as much from good role models as bad role models, and gosh, I've had both in my career. What in a manager do you think is effective and what in a manager do you think is bad? and what you want to copy, and what you want to avoid. I think if you, as a young person or as somebody who wants to make the transition into management, one of the first things you should do is start to observe. Start to really think about what you admire in a good manager and what you don't admire in a bad manager. And I think you can learn from the good and the bad but pick models to follow and to not follow. It's very important, and you can do that from the beginning of your career, no matter what you've trained as or no matter what your job is. Okay, so leadership or skills management, building teams, bringing people together um, to get stuff done is a really critical skill that lasts you a lifetime. And you start on this journey by paying attention to what people around you are doing as leaders that you admire and that you don't admire. And you begin to try on those roles as you have an opportunity to lead peers. Okay, one last minute, Jim. Any other piece of advice for people to develop their leadership? Think of an organization as an organic, living, breathing thing because it is. And think about what role you have to make that organism as healthy and as vibrant as possible. One advice I have is to don't think of the business or company you're in as the building you walk into or the brand name or logo that's on the door or on the product. Think of it as that living, breathing thing that's all around you at the end of the day. Everything, every company is only as good as the people within that company and how well they interact with each other. It's fabulous. Jim, this has been an interesting conversation um, and an insightful one about this transition from being a specialist to being a manager and putting the time and effort into it. I think out of all the things that I've heard, many I've heard from other people as well, the things that really stand out for me is this notion that you really have to show that you care about people. And you do that with three very simple things. One is know one detail about every person. Two is to ask a question, something intelligent about their work so you show you value the work. And the third is that you smile at them and look them directly in the eye. So straightforward, but so impactful. Jim, thanks for being with me today. Great pleasure. Thank you. Um, Next week, we'll be talking with Carrie Pirano at American Express, and Carrie is going to be talking about her experiences in building a career, particularly the ability to hold your own at the table. Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Take Charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.